I got an email last week from Claire Venegas from University of Dallas, and uh, she said that they have a, uh, a lecture series that are also having a theme of Eucharistic Revival, and it's called the Adoro Te Lecture Series. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Often Dr. Jonathan Sanford will come in and talk about a particular area of life at UD, but uh, uh, in his place is Dr. Matt, Wall- Matt Walls, who is a 16-year veteran of uh, professor of philosophy at the University of Dallas, here to talk about the Adoro Te Lecture Series. So, uh, Dr. Walls, thanks for coming in. Good to see you. Thank you, Dave, for having me. All right, so tell me, I'm just curious, uh, why did you choose philosophy? And at what point in your life did you say, I want to be a philosopher, I want to study this stuff? I certainly understand because I yeah. love it as well, but uh, uh, where did that love affair start? Uh, that love affair started, um, I would say, freshman year of college. I went to a small Catholic college in Virginia called Christendom College, and I went there intending ultimately to be a math major. Um, but once I read some Plato, some Aristotle, and really saw that the kinds of wonder I had at the beauty of mathematics were actually met and even, you might say, fleshed out further in philosophy, mm-hmm. that desire for the beauty of truth in a way that actually applies very uh, coherently to human life really sparked a yeah. love of philosophy in my mind. And there's a great connection between mathematics and philosophy, yes. right? Uh, Blaise yes. Pascal was a mathematician. Descartes was, right? Yes, very much. Uh, Leibniz. Uh, I, yes. Yeah, there's a, a lot of them. And, and Plato himself talks a lot about that in his yeah. writings, the yeah. importance so. of the objective truth of mathematics mm-hmm. as a way into philosophy. Yeah, interesting. So what courses do you teach at UD typically, or this year, this fall, what are you teaching? This fall I'm teaching a senior seminar course to the seminarians. Um, you didn't mention this, but I also run the seminary programs oh, at right? the University okay. of Dallas, okay. and I'm on the faculty at Holy Trinity Seminary there uh, as director of intellectual formation. Oh, okay. So every year I, I tend to teach the the classes for the seniors, the so-called capstone courses where they're writing their theses and we're reflecting this year basically on anthropology, theological and philosophical anthropology, mm, okay. trying right. to understand the human person and in particular the theology of the body. Yeah. So how do the, 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 the Adoro Te Lecture Series, Reflections and Conversations, to seed the, nas- the na- National Eucharistic Revival. I guess, uh, first of all, I think most of our listeners know what the, the National Eucharistic Revival is, but maybe we can just talk about that. Mm-hmm. How far into it? Why was it called? What's the purpose? Your, yes. your understanding of why the USCC bishops uh, called for this in the first place. Yeah, I think the U.S. bishops have really responded to to a great need in the church that has maybe been anecdotally known, but now is known by polls and other surveys that have been taken that the belief in the Eucharist, that that is the real and true presence of Jesus Christ, is pretty ebbing pretty low, you would say, among the faithful. And so the bishops really took the bull by the horns and really said, let's, let's do something about this. Uh, there have been Eucharistic revivals in the country for numerous years, all the way up until about 1960, I think, maybe somewhere in the early 60s was the last Eucharistic revival. So I think it's a way to jumpstart catechetics on the Eucharist, to jumpstart our love of the Eucharist, to to encourage us to adore the Eucharist, and hopefully this revival, I think as the bishops see it, will, will encourage adoration and a renewed 
both uh, faith in but also love for the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And and this lecture series is in some ways meant to feed the intellectual dimension of the faith, to provide to provide a, an intellectual dimension to this revival. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the, the Eucharist is supernatural, right? I mean, to, to believe this, it does require faith. And I'm just thinking from a standpoint of, you know, your your kid comes to you or your friend or next-door neighbor or parishioner and says, oh, I, I don't believe in the, 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 the real yeah. presence of the Eucharist. And it's kind of a conundrum because it is it does require supernatural faith, which we can't earn, right? Yeah. It's a gift. Yeah. But at the same time, there is some educational, catechetical ways, which I think would probably be much of the purpose of this event. So what is that kind of balance between what we can know on a natural level and teach somebody? And ultimately, it's it's going to be require a leap of faith, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I was actually thinking about this right before I entered the room in terms of the way the Eucharist brings together both the deepest mysteries of God, but in such an accessible way. We know the importance of a meal. We know the value of a sacrifice. And the Eucharist brings both of those together, and it does so in ways that use the materials that are so basic to human life, bread and wine, things that have been with us from the beginning of human existence, mm-hmm. it seems. And and of course, you can return to the Gospels and see how this was such a part of the Jewish tradition, and it's building off of this long history of a meal together, the Passover meal in particular. So there's so many human and accessible ways of approaching the Eucharist that would make sense in terms of that. But you're right. On top of that, you might say, the reality of it is divine. Mm-hmm. And so the eyes of faith that can be fed by that humanly accessible way of understanding the Eucharist, nonetheless, does require that trust that Jesus's words about our our requirement, as it were, to eat his flesh and drink his blood we must believe those words. Mm-hmm. We must believe yeah. Jesus ultimately in what he says, both in the gospel and at the Last Supper itself. You mentioned that the belief in the Eucharist is, I think the words you use, ebbing pretty low. Yeah. Uh, well, why do you think that is? Uh, what, what's uh, you know the cause of that, in your opinion? I would. I mean, I think we've had we've had some serious issues with catechesis. I, I think um, these these are not new. This was a a grave concern in the post-conciliar period, how to address the question of catechesis. It was even there in the uh, papacy of Paul VI, who released a a beautiful document on evangelization and catechesis, Evangelii Nunciandi. John Paul II was quite concerned about catechesis, which is why we came out with this beautiful catechism. So I think in some ways... To me, at least, when it comes to the Eucharist, the Eucharist at a young age can become quite understandable. It is a mystery, so I don't want to say it can be comprehended. But I think young children can receive it pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, And especially if you can talk about it in terms of a meal and what bread is and, and tie it to the history of the Old Testament and all those things. So I do think it's really been a failure of catechesis. Mm-hmm. Now, why does catechesis fail? Ultimately, it has to do with the strength of our faith and whether we believe sufficiently to want to pass that on as 
not just uh, you know enough to get them to believe, but to fall in love with the Eucharist. Yeah, to amen. be consistent in that catechesis, to bring it into our families, to you know maybe have a habit of going to mass more than once a week. Other ways in which you can make that catechesis have real life effects. Yeah, you mentioned about the children. I think most children accept it. You know, uh, yeah. we have a ten year old you know special needs son, and we tell him it's Jesus, and mm-hmm. he he believes it. I think that's why you know Jesus said we must become like little children, yeah, yeah. right? Because we overthink things since we get to be adults. Yeah, children are very trusting, and the Eucharist on the one hand requires a lot of trust, but on the other hand, as I hope this lecture series will begin to bring out. It is such, uh, the best way for me to describe it is such an intelligible sacrament. It's a sacrament that has so much truth in it and is so approachable and so human that the, the, the demand of faith, I don't want to say it's easy, but it becomes way more natural mm-hmm. when you understand like, yes, of course, one who loves us would want to share a meal with us and give us as much as possible, give himself to us as much as possible. Yeah. Dr. Matt Walls is my guest, professor of philosophy at the University of Dallas. Uh, we always on the fourth Monday of the month uh, have what we call the UD segment of the Good News Show. And that's what we're doing today. We're talking about the Adoro Te Lecture Series, Reflections and Conversations to Seed the National Eucharistic Revival. Uh, it's going to be this um, fall season, uh, going into the spring of next year as well. And as I look at the the people who are speaking and the topics, and it's just so broad. You've got philosophical reflections, theological, medieval, poetic, scriptural, spiritual. It's... um. It's really uh, quite a lineup. Uh, how did this all come about, or what was the you know kind of the the genesis of it? Yeah, so um, a friend of mine had uh, got together a bunch of people at his home, and and they actually had a presentation on the National Eucharistic Revival. And this friend tasked everyone to think about what they can do. Uh, and as I was sitting there thinking about that at that very night, I came with this idea, let's, let's have a series, a lecture series at the University of Dallas. And there are a few things that I wanted it to do that are so unique to the University of Dallas. One that, uh, Dave already indicated, I wanted it to be interdisciplinary. By which I mean I wanted very different perspectives on the Eucharist. So there's philosophical and theological perspectives, those are maybe the most obvious. But I also wanted historical ones. What did the Eucharist look like in the Middle Ages? Poetic reflections. We will have a lecture on the Eucharist and Shakespeare in the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins. We'll look, of course, at scripture, and then we'll look at Eucharist in the spiritual life. So to me, it was really important for this to be a distinctively University of Dallas event to bring into conversation about the Eucharist all these different perspectives, which would represent professors of English literature, professors of philosophy, professors of theology, professors of history. So to me, it's a, it's, it's sort of a smorgasbord of, of beautiful reflections on the Eucharist. And what I think I wanted to teach from a, from a sort of catechetical point of view in the broadest sense of that word is just how rich the Eucharist is. It has affected all these areas. It's affected art, obviously, poetry, philosophy, theology, history, to really see that the Eucharist is not just a theological topic. Mm -hmm. It's an incredibly Christian topic, and therefore it's as human as it can be. (laughs) And so I wanted to bring out all these different dimensions. And, of course, 
these wonderful professors who, you know, will will make this much more public in the coming weeks. The names are these these beautiful professors at the University of Dallas who believe deeply in the Eucharist and see in their own disciplines approaches to make that mystery much more accessible, much more understandable, and ultimately much more lovable. Yeah, yeah, and it starts uh, September 28th at the University of Dallas uh, with Dr. Christopher Myris speaking on Christus Poeta, the Eucharist as a divine work of art, and then uh, none other than Dr. Matthew Walls is going to be speaking as well, the fulfillment of all eating. So, yeah, and other- the, just one thing about that, I wanted it also to be a conversation. So we're going to have two rather brief lectures. We don't want it to be a lot of lecturing going on. And then the two presenters for that night will sit down and have a mediated conversation. Um, so it's going to be both – that's why it's called Reflections and Conversations because I really it's – a, it's a way to invite the audience there into those reflections by way of conversation, question and answer and those things. What would you say? There's probably people like, oh, these are these really bright you know, UD professors, and I'm just going to go there. I don't know what I could contribute to a conversation like that. Yeah. What would you say to those people who don't think that intellectually they're going to be where they need to be for something like this? It's open to all, right? Yeah, open to all. These are open to the public, and as I said, we'll be advertising this on the website soon. Um, yeah, it's hard to, to know what to say to that as a teacher. Your first reaction to every question is, of course, this is a longing of your heart to know this. Do not be afraid to answer this, ask this question of us. Um, so also maybe being there and listening to what I hope are going to be very accessible lectures. I've really encouraged the professors to think about how this can be sort of universally approached by, by the public as well as, of course, there'll be students and faculty there. Um, but I hope that that itself, making the Eucharist as as accessible as possible, will invite a kind of question out of those who attend. That they'll be, they will be, in fact, put on fire to want to know more about the Eucharist. And in some ways, that's the fundamental uh, goal of this series: is to to encourage greater knowledge of the Eucharist with a view to falling in love more deeply with this this beautiful mystery of the faith. Mm-hmm. What about age groups? If somebody has a bright high school kid or grade school, is this something for young people? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, okay. I'm thinking of the way that um, my own lecture, it's called the fulfillment of all eating. Food is something we can all talk <laughs> about. And I'm not going to make it some highly philosophic reflection on food. You have to think about food and its, its place in life and what it means to eat and share a meal. Um, so each of these lectures, I think, are going to be quite uh, accessible. And I notice you have priests, you have religious sisters, you have laymen, laywomen. Is that yes. intentional to have kind of a a broad variety of types of people? Yes, who are we want we wanted a number of different voices here, both male and female, of course. And we're lucky, of course, at the University of Dallas to have Cistercians across the street, and now we have Nashville Dominicans on our faculty. So I wanted these various religious groups to be represented as well because of course in many ways their lives are centered on the Eucharist and they'll they'll have much wisdom to offer us. And as you mentioned you've got uh, two people per discipline mm-hmm. and I as they you know let's say for example I've already mentioned uh, Dr. Myris and, and yourself theological reflections uh, Dr. Irene Alexander and Dr. Chris Malloy do, yeah. do they do they kind of collaborate and uh, you know the, the the topics are they 
just random or is there some connection inherently in the in the topics that they choose yeah there's there's a I'd almost want to say, and I don't mean this in a bad sense, minimal collaboration. We didn't want overlap. So we have asked people to make sure that there's not a lot of overlap. But in the case of like theology, Irene Alexander is a moral theologian. Christopher Malloy is a dogmatic, systematic theologian. So there we wanted a couple different perspectives. Uh, I could go through the list and you could see that we're trying to bring out different elements of that, that approach. Um, so, Irene Alexander will be talking about the nuptial meaning of the Eucharist. Like, what does it mean to think about the Eucharist in terms of sort of a morality of marriage and living up to uh, nuptial life? Yeah. Whereas Chris Malloy will be thinking about it probably from a much more ecclesiological perspective. What is the place of the Eucharist in the church? So each of these lectures, partly having these two perspectives within a certain perspective is intentional to bring out more and more of that richness. Mm -hmm. And obviously you'd love for people to come to one and come to all of them, but is the intention, I guess, to get them out to the first one and then they just kind of keep coming back? Yeah, that would be the hope. It's every month, September, October, November, and then February, March, and April. So six total, two presenters each, two topics each. And, um, and and all of that, as as maybe the audience may or may not know, but next summer is where there's the gathering for the Eucharistic revival in Indiana. So this is all preparatory for that, and hopefully this will maybe people will. Uh, Take it upon themselves to make the trip to the Eucharistic Revival. I would imagine if you, if you went to all these uh, events, <laughs> you would be very fired up yes. to do that. Wow, what a great idea. I mean, what the, the fact that you were inspired to do this, and I, I'm guessing it's no charge, right? No charge. No charge. And what time and location for you? So these? these are going to be on the UD campus. Uh, the room will be announced, but they're likely to be on uh, evenings at 7 o'clock. Okay. Um, and that's again. I, I we are still ironing out some of those details, so yeah. I don't. Uh, we will have this on the website soon enough. But we're thinking usually evening events right. on Thursdays. Yeah. And, and if people go to udallas.edu, uh, what do they do to find this information? Yeah, so we have a calendar. You can click on a calendar, or um, maybe I could share with Dave later. Uh, we'll probably set up a website dedicated to this as well. Yeah, Claire sent me the attachment that has all the details. So if anybody wants to just email me directly, I can at least give you the sure. talks and you know what fun. I have. You can uh, email me Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Do you want to brag about UD at all? I mean, uh, we, we love talking about uh, <laughs> what, what's uh, what's you know, you know this is the UD segment. I have a, my masters from UD and all mm-hmm. that. Of course, you've been teaching there for 16 years. Got to just have a couple minutes, well, about a minute or so. What's what's special about this university? Oh, this university is is sort of beautifully Catholic in in the full sense of that word. It's it's so human. It's so uh, enriched by the faith, both in terms of the sacramental life, but I would say especially the intellectual life. It's a, it's a university that takes very seriously the fact that in the long run, the intellectual dimension of our faith really becomes that which informs culture. Mm-hmm. And so there's a kind of rigor and, and uh, demand on the students at UD to to become as intellectually charitable and wise as possible. Our, we, we state as our ends uh, for the mission that we seek truth, virtue, and wisdom as the ends of education. And the, the curriculum 
rooted in the, the treasures of the Western civilization and the Catholic intellectual tradition, really bring that out of the students. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Dr. Matt Walls, professor of philosophy at the University of Dallas. It's called the Adoro Te Lecture Series. Is that um, um, adore him? Is that- yeah, adore te means I adore thee, which is the beginning of St. Thomas's great hymn to the oh, okay. Eucharist. Maybe you've heard it in uh, English as Godhead here in hiding. Which, oh. uh, so the Adorote names the great hymn that Thomas wrote to the Eucharist as part of the Corpus Christi celebration. Yeah, probably should have been my first question, but hey, we, we, got, we got it in nonetheless, <laughs> right? Okay, well, thank you very much, Dr. Wallace. Also, thanks to uh, Claire Venegas for lining this up. And uh, you can learn all about this by going to udallas.edu. You can email me directly. I can send you the information, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. And I think that's going to be about do it.